over the last few weeks, we've been talking about dealing with our doubt and unbelief. And I hope this series has blessed you. All this stuff, really, I don't remember ever hearing anywhere before. I just feel like I've been getting these downloads in my prayer time with God and just bringing some sozo stuff into faith stuff and just, just dealing with me in some layers that he wants these things rooted in, out of me so my faith will naturally work better. And the same with you guys. So if you remember, I've been sharing this in a, over, a, over a number of weeks I shared on this. And then one day God spoke to me and said, Okay, pastor, it's time to practice what you preached. And I, I mentioned that last week, those over here. And I knew automatically what he was saying. He was telling me, it's time for you to journal about what you are struggling and battling with in the area of doubt and unbelief. I said, all right, let's do it. So I journaled some stuff. I had like nine things written down that I was believing God for. And I wrote down some areas where I, I felt like I doubted. Then I wrote down areas where God said was the reason why I doubted. And they were a little bit different than what I had. Some overlapped. But to summarize what I was feeling, what, what I was doubting was, number one, I was doubting if I was good enough, doubting if God would do something like that with me or through me, and doubting if I heard God or not. You know, it's really easy to believe God when you know that you know that you know that you heard him. And that's why the devil comes immediately to steal away the word that was sown. Because if we can doubt that we heard him, our faith level is going to be really wishy-washy. And wishy-washy faith doesn't work too good. So I also share with you how those temptations that I was feeling are actually common to man. I think we've all felt that like that sometime that we're not good enough or God would do something for this person but maybe not for me. Maybe not every day but different times when you're at a low point or something's going on in your life or doubting if we heard God or not. And these things can really be tormenting to us. And we don't talk about it. We talk about We pretend like everything's great and we don't battle these things. But what we need to understand is these battles, these, temp these thoughts are temptations and they're from the enemy to distract you, deceive you, discourage you, and just beat you up. Okay, so then we looked at Luke 4 and how Jesus was tempted. When he was fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was tempted every day. Not just those three examples that they showed, but every day in the wilderness. And in other days over the course of his life, he was tempted, the Bible says, in every way, and yet was without sin. That's Hebrews 4.15. So Jesus was tempted to lie. This might sound like some blasphemy here, but brace yourselves, Okay. Jesus was tempted to lie. Jesus was tempted to cheat. He was tempted to steal. He was tempted to doubt. He was tempted to, to uh, not fulfill the calling of God in his life. He was tempted to not go to the cross, to go do some other way. If this cup can pass for me, God, let there be any other way. He was tempted to not do this. He was tempted in all ways, yet he was without sin. And you know, you're, you're not sinning when you're being tempted. Jesus didn't sin when he was tempted, and you're not sinning when you're being tempted. You're being attacked, okay? You're being attacked with a temptation. And so we need to understand that, that temptations are spiritual battles. They're actually spiritual battles, okay? So in the wilderness, Jesus modeled for us how to handle these temptations, didn't he? Didn't he? Yeah? Yeah? You guys can talk. You can say amen. You can say I agree. You can talk at least to help you stay awake, right? Uh, amen, amen, right? So... So I'm going to highlight some things I mentioned last week. I'm going to also share some new things on this topic. But first, we must recognize that temptations are spiritual battles. The one who is the tempter, who is the one who tempted Jesus? Satan, right? The devil, right? He tempted him. And so Satan, the devil, demons, they're spiritual beings who live in a spiritual realm that you cannot normally see. Sometimes we do when our eyes are open to see in the spirit. But most times on a normal average day, you're not seen in the spirit. And so since these temptations come from spiritual places 
and they come from spiritual beings, they're actually spiritual battles. And when we try to handle spiritual battles with carnal weapons, it doesn't work good. When you try to handle these spiritual battles with your flesh, with your willpower, with your self-control, you're going to lose. Maybe not every time, but it comes to a point you're going to lose. We need to fight the way Jesus fought. If Jesus, uh, filled with the Spirit, had lots of self-control, he's fasting 40 days, right? He has lots of self-control. If he needed the Word of God to speak the Word of God out of his mouth to beat these temptations, how much more will we need the Word of God coming out of our mouth to beat the temptations? He modeled it for us. We're supposed to do what he did, and that's how we go in victory. So, uh, again, since these temptations are coming from spiritual places, through spiritual beings, your temptations are spiritual. As long as we see them as just my flesh, or just uh, carnal, or just this, or just my imagination, you're going to miss it. Because we are in a war, whether you can see it or not, whether you sense it or not, whether you feel it or not, you are tempted to believe that you suck. I say that. It felt good for me to say that because that was one of my big temptations. <laughs> I went to Dick Robinson for deliverance. That was the biggest one of the biggest ones come out. Like, you're tempted to believe that you're no good, that you're worthless, that you are just the biggest loser who's ever walked the planet. No one cares what you think. No one cares what you say. No one cares about you. You are bombarded with that kind of stuff from day in day. Maybe not all day long, but from time to time throughout the day. And I used this illustration last week. I saw this vision where there was this conveyor belt going up like this and on these little tracks. And there was dirt on this conveyor belt every so many two, three feet or so. And it was a person sitting under the conveyor belt, and this dirt pile was going up over the top and just dropping down on that person, one after another, after another, just sitting there. And they didn't get up and move out of the way. They just sat there. And I felt like God said to me, this is what it's like when you face temptations or accusations or things the devil's saying to you day after day after day, and you don't even do anything about it. You just pretend like it didn't happen. You pretend like it's not there. You're not even getting out of the way. You're not getting your sword of spirit out. You're not fighting spiritual battles. You're just sitting there and taking it because that's what it looks like. And this person was piled up to their shoulders and what I saw with dirt, not because they did anything wrong, because, but they just didn't do anything right to, to fight against what was going on. We're going to be in a battle whether we want to be or not, amen? So we might as well win, amen? If we're going to be in this, let's be in it to win it, right? Not just be, just be alive. So... Our flesh does have a part to play in this. Of course it does. But these spiritual beings or demons are trying to entice us to do evil. They're also trying to cause you to doubt. Because when you doubt, you're going to disobey God. Eventually you're going to disobey God. So it's important to recognize these as spiritual battles. Point two on this is we need to fight spiritual battles with, or temptations with spiritual weapons. The spiritual weapon that Jesus used in the wilderness was the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Even in the book of Revelation, when Jesus returns on his white horse, what's coming out of his mouth? Right? What's coming out of his mouth? So it was important then. It's going to be important later. It's probably important right now, right? Okay? So the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, and it's our only offensive weapon in the spiritual armor that's listed. All the other ones are defensive. Okay? This, the sword of the Spirit is also offensive, and it's also defense, because you can defend an attack. You can also be... A, on the offense with it as well. Every time Jesus was tempted, not just these three in the wilderness, but every time he was tempted, he, he spoke the word. He had the sword of spirit come out of his mouth. So he would have had to meditate on the word of God in order to get this word to come out of his mouth. He was the word, but he didn't born he wasn't born with the word memorized. Okay? He grew in favor and wisdom and stature with God man. He had to memorize the Torah. All three of those temptations that he faced, he, he combated each time with the Torah. Each one was quoted from the book of Deuteronomy. So 
We need to have the word of God when we're tempted. Each time Jesus said, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He said, worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he said, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Each time it was a boom, boom. He was like swinging back, fighting back on these spiritual temptations he was facing. And when we don't use the sword of the spirit, we're, trying, we're just like that person sitting under the conveyor belt, just letting these temptations of you're no good, you're worthless, you're going to die, your life's meaningless, and all these kind of evil accusations that we hear the enemy say. I, I, if you said to me today that you never heard the enemy say something like that to you, I would say you're, you're flat out lying. Just honestly. I'd say it with a smile. I'd say it even hugging you from the side. I'd say, I'm sorry, you are lying. Because no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. It's common to everybody. Jesus was tempted with these things. Uh, Peter was tempted with these things. I'm tempted. You're tempted. It's tempted to doubt God. And we doubt God, we disobey God. We doubt his word, right? So in order for us to do this, uh, we're going to need to be aware of the ways we are tempted. In order for us to fight this fight well, we're going to have to be aware of the ways we're being tempted and not just ignore it like it's not happening. Okay? We have to be self-aware. So we need to recognize areas where the devil is tempting us to believe something that is contrary to the word of God. And we need to be aware that we are being tempted to doubt God. Okay? It isn't just you. It isn't just you. You're not just having a bad day. You are being tempted by the evil one to doubt God and doubt your reason for existence, to doubt your calling, to make it all about you. Well, I could never do that because nobody knows me or nobody knows. Well, look at Gideon. Who knew him? He said he was the lowest in his family. Who knew David? His own dad didn't even think he was qualified, didn't even count him as one of the sons in the family. He's, oh, he, oh him, well, he's out there just playing with the sheep. All right? You, you have to get your identity from your father. And then you have to battle against that temptation to doubt it probably on and off for the rest of your life because there's going to be highs and lows in your journey. But you have to have, it is written, or it was prophesied, or it is whatever. Because Paul told Timothy to fight uh, spiritual warfare with the prophecies he had previously received. First Timothy 4.18, I think it is. He said, Timothy, I want to remind you, fan into fame, flame the gift of God is in you, was laying on hands by the uh, presbytery or the elders, and he said, "Fight spiritual fight by remembering the prophecies that were previously spoken over your life. You fight spiritual warfare with words, with word of God, with prophetic words, and that's how we win. But we're gonna not be able to do that if we're not in the word, memorizing the word, and getting it in our heart. So if we're not aware, we are not winning. You know, I used to watch this cartoon growing up." G.I. Joe. Anyone else used to watch that? I used to love that cartoon. Every morning before I caught the bus, my brother and I were sitting there. We'd get up early just so we could watch this cartoon. And we'd watch it. And uh, it was G.I. Joe, greatest American hero. G.I. Joe was there. You got, I know Rob saw it. You guys have seen it, right? All right. And so uh, we watched it all the time. But one of the things they said in almost every, every episode was, no one is half the battle. G.I. Joe, you have to know you're in a war. You have to know how you're being tempted. The devil is tempting you in that area for a certain reason. He has a scheme, a strategy in your life that can make you believe this. If you doubt it, you're going to live without it. If you're just waiting for one day, God's going to make this happen. It's probably not going to happen. He wants you to fight and, and, and uh, contend for the words spoken over your life. You have to get it rooted and grounded in your heart so you believe it more than you doubt it. That's going to take time. It's going to take effort, amen? Amen or oh me, right? God has a plan for your life. 
And the word of God said it's to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope in the future. And if you're going to walk in it, you're going to need to become aware of what you're tempted with, what you're tempted to doubt, what you're tempted to believe. Amen? And when you get that, it's going to empower you to win. So we're not going to do this right now, but I want you to remember this. I want you to take some time and do some journaling sometime this week and ask God questions. What am I struggling to believe? What, what area am I being tempted to doubt? What, 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 what's going on with, why am I tempted that you wouldn't provide for me? Why am, I temp, why am I tempted to believe that you wouldn't heal me? Why am I tempted to believe that you wouldn't use me in ministry? Or you wouldn't ever use me to pray for someone that's sick to be healed? Why am I tempted to believe they're temptations? You get me? They are. They're not your thoughts. It's not just your insecurity. It's not just your uh, feeling bad about yourself. You are tempted from the evil one to believe that you can't do it. Okay? I mentioned this earlier that these common temptations are we doubt if we're good enough. We doubt if God would do something for us or not. We doubt if we heard God or not. But often we don't realize that when we're doubting if we're not good enough or doubting ourselves, we're actually doubting God. Just like when you doubt you're forgiven. It really has nothing to do with you. You're doubting the word. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Come on. I'm going to sharpen that sword whether you want to sharpen it or not. This iron is going to sharpen some iron. Amen? You're not, it's not just you why you struggle with believing you're forgiven. There's an enemy out there who wants you to doubt you're forgiven. How are you going to walk in the things of God? How are you going to believe God for different things that we can't believe are even forgiven? That's Christianity 101. That's the kindergarten basic level. That's where you knock, the doors open. You walk in, you go into the whole house. You just stand there at the door, leave Jesus knocking, bring him in the house. Right? Let him go through the whole house. He's going to clean up. But we're doubting if we're good enough. Are we really doubting that? Or are we doubting God and his word? I'm pretty sure God has an opinion about you. I'm pretty sure he makes it very clear in the Bible what he thinks of you. And it's good. It's so good that it takes faith to believe it. And that's the word that needs to come out of your mouth. That's the sword of the Spirit that needs to come out of your mouth. Not agreeing with these emotional temptations. I guess I'm just no good. I guess I'll never amount to anything. I'll, I'll just be like this person, that person. That is garbage. That is the voice of the enemy. And the voice of the enemy you're not supposed to follow. The voice of the stranger you will not follow. It's the voice of God that you follow. Amen? Sometimes it's easier for you to recognize and hear the voice of the enemy because you've practiced listening to it more. You've recited it more. You've confessed it more. You've thought it was just some form of, of humility. I and mean, it's not humility. It's perverted, corrupt garbage. It's not humility to say that you suck. It's actually blasphemy if you think about it. But that's not what God says. It's not what God said about you. So anything we're saying and agreeing with, it didn't come from God. It's coming from another source. We're walking with and agreeing with the evil one. Amen? You are created for greatness. For greatness. Not just when you die and go to heaven. We're, I mean, how hard would that be there? It's going to be pretty simple is what it sounds like. So when we're doubting if God will do something for us or not, are we doubting that? Are we doubting God's promises? If we're doubting if we heard God or not, are we doubting that? Or are we afraid of being wrong and looking foolish? We're like, well, what will they say? What will they say? You know? And this is part of our battle. It's part of our struggle. So I want to encourage you guys to, when you get home sometime this week, take some time, spend with the Lord, and journal. Write things down. Ask God questions. Why do I doubt that you wouldn't want to do something for me? Why do I doubt that you wouldn't want to use me to teach Sunday school or use me to teach 
this or teach that or preach this or pray for this person to be healed. Why do I doubt? Why do I think I have to be perfectly healthy in order for you to use me? Why do I think I have to know everything before I can preach a sermon? Why do, I mean, these things are bombarded in our minds in our, until it becomes part of us, until we take care of it. And I think it's time to take care of this stuff because God wants to activate his church. God wants to activate the bride, and we have to become and know who we really are, what we're designed to be and do. And it's not going to come from feeling sorry for ourselves or talking bad about ourselves and calling yourself a measly old worm and stuff. It's going to come from agreeing with the holy God of Israel, the holy God of this world, God Almighty, agree with what he said. If he says you're forgiven, you are forgiven. If he says you're healed, you're healed. If he says you're redeemed, you're redeemed. Amen? Whether you feel it or not is relevant at this moment. You've got to agree with it, get it into your heart, and it gets out in your heart, it comes out of your mouth, and you walk in it. You walk in it. But as long as we keep confessing, we're no good. I mean, who are you, who are you trying to impress with that? It's like some people sing these solos sometimes, and, and then people, uh, we don't do that here for a lot of reasons, but we do, I just, maybe it's me, but I, I wasn't blessed by too many solos growing up, just tell you that. One, uh, and if you disagree, it's okay. I, I'm sorry, just, maybe, it's, maybe it's just me. But what I perceived as a child and growing up was this person would get up on stage and they would sing this song and it was all about them and their voice and their, and their gift. And they make this big, big show and this big thing. And maybe I was cynical, but probably was some too. I'm sure not everyone liked that, but it felt like it, okay? And it became all about them and not about God. And so, and then they'd say, you did such a good job, sister. You did such a good job, brother. It wasn't me, it was just God. And like, it wasn't good. I mean, I'm like, he wasn't God now. Like, I mean, it was good, but don't go, don't get carried away. He wasn't God now. Like, I mean, you sang a song here. Like, <laughs> anyway, but um, when we when we worship and sing, I, we want to do it together as a family, and, and not to take away from someone's vocal gifts or whatever. But uh, anyway, I'm off of that because I don't know if I'm <laughs> digging a hole or what. But God doesn't want us to doubt. Um, God doesn't want us to doubt if it's God's will to do something. Or is, if God would do this for you. God doesn't want us to doubt that you heard him. God doesn't want you to doubt if you're good enough. In order for you to overcome that, because uh, faith is being confident. Doubt is not being confident. And the double-minded man is unstable and all he does, that man shouldn't expect to receive anything from God. We receive the things of God by being confident in his word and become confident in his word by letting it come out of our mouth. Amen? Amen? It's honoring God to speak out uh, the word of God even when you don't feel it. He's like, that's my boy right there. That's my daughter. You hear what she said? That, I, I said that. That was my word. I, and other stuff like, I didn't say that. That was the enemy. We don't need to agree with him, amen? So again, take some time to journal. Write down areas where you're doubting and you're, and you're struggling to believe certain things God's called you to do. Because are you going to feel, we've got a disco going on up here or something. Uh, you can just turn them off if you want to because uh, I'm, like, I'm like starting to, like I'm tripping here or something. Like, man, the glory of God's falling on me in a heavy way because I'm... I'm seeing spots and colors and all kinds of stuff. Like, whoa, I'm still seeing spots right now. Those new lights Dale got, they're really bright. They're the middle one there, it's, they're very bright. But um, take some time to journal and write down like, what God tells you about what you're, you're, you're battling, what your struggle is. Because how can you win a war you don't even know that you're in? How can you win against a temptation that you don't know the devil's trying to tempt you to believe? When you recognize it for what it is, you can fight and win. Every single one of you are called by God to do something. And every single one of you can do it. Every single one of you can do it. Uh, you know, 
Anxiety can't be an excuse. Fear can't be an excuse. Uh, like Moses, I stutter can't be an excuse. God doesn't care about excuses. He just wants your yes, and he'll work out the other stuff. He'll work out that stuff. Every person he's ever called had fear of internal issues of I'm not good enough. But guess what? We're the only people he's got to work with. <laughs> and if he thinks we're good enough, then we are. Amen? We had to push past our pride, because it's really what it is. It's our pride, our self-centeredness. We care more about looking bad than we do about the lost. We care more about looking bad than we do about someone that's sick or whatever. We care more about us than them. Like, really, right? Are you okay? All right, just being real. So, uh, yeah, praise Jesus. So um, I'm going to move on. Uh, but another thing we're, we're also tempted with, we are tempted to fear. Fear is not just an emotion. Fear is a temptation. You are, you are enticed. You are tempted to fear. And God does not want you to fear. Amen? You know, fear is a celebrated sin in most churches. It's celebrated. It's just like normal. It's like normal. And it's a plague. It's a, it's a disease. It's an illness. I mean, not talking about mental illness. I'm not talking about just, it's something that doesn't come from God. You, you, don't, you will not be afraid in heaven. And when you were afraid near Jesus in the, in the New Testament, he corrected him, didn't he? How many times did he tell him, oh, man, would you stop fearing? They're about to be killed in a boat. And he's like, why did you fear? Jesus, Peter's walking on water. Well, he started saying, why did you fear? I mean, the guy's not normal. <laughs> I mean, our fear is, can't, but God wants us to be more like him. Your fear is not a trophy. It's not some part of your identity. It's from the evil one. And you've practiced it, I've practiced it, I've embraced it, because I've copied, well, this guy's afraid, and I guess that's just normal. I guess I'm going to live up to this guy's level or this person's level, and God wants you to live up to his level. He really does. I mean, he just does. All right? So I'm not trying to condemn anybody that has issues with fear. I'm going to open up and share some things that I've struggled with in the areas of fear and read some stuff from my journal to you. But I'm just telling you, be challenged that God doesn't want you to fear. Anything. Anything. Put your anything in there, but it's anything, okay? Now, is it going to be a challenge? Is it going to be a temptation? Yes, it is. It's also a challenge sometimes to quit smoking or quit something you're addicted to doing or quit this issue of sin. Sometimes it's an issue or a challenge or a fight sometimes to break it and get over it, but you actually have to fight it. You have to actually be engaged in it, and if we're not battling against something, we're not moving in the right direction, how are we going to get there? If you're waiting for God to do some of these things sovereignly, you're going to be waiting a long time because he's waiting for your participation. It's co-laboring with Christ. It's not God does everything, I do nothing. Amen? Man, I feel like I'm preaching really good. I don't know if you guys are liking it or not, but, but uh, truth is truth. I mean, just saying. But, um, you know, it was said, someone said it, do not fears in the Bible 365 times, one for each day of the year. I don't know if that's true or not, but Jesus said many times, we know that, do not fear. Do not fear. So, but often, we are tempted to fear. We are tempted to fear. It's not just a feeling and not just an emotion. It's not because there's a scary boogeyman over here. You are tempted to be afraid that you're not safe, that you're not protected, that God's not going to come through for you. He came through for them, but he's not going to come through for you, that you're gonna, something horrible is going to happen to your life. You're going to die of this deadly disease. And he, the devil wants you to be afraid because it, it stunts you from doing things God wants you to do. People disobey God because they're afraid. 
God tells you to witness to somebody, but we don't do it because we're afraid. God tells you to stand up and pray in tongues or sing in tongues and have and someone else interpret, and you sit there and don't do it because you're afraid. You have a testimony to share, and you don't share it because you're afraid. Yet we're disobeying God because we're honoring our fear more than our Savior. And fear can't be our Savior. It can't be our God. It can't be our comfort blanket. It's not comforting. It's tormenting. It might make you feel safe and protected at certain times, but at home it's tormenting you. It's squishing the life out of you. It's suffocating you. It's fear is torment. Fear has to do with torment. Tormentor is from the devil. Amen? So I journaled about this. I Actually, the same day I got the journal stuff I shared last week, I got this download too. I was journaling about areas in my life where I've struggled with fear and believing God and stuff like that, stuff where I'm tempted to fear. And also found out that these fears are probably common to, maybe not everybody, but common to probably a lot of people. But my first one I'd written down was the fear of the unknown. Fear of the unknown. Do you know how much time we waste fearing the unknown? <laughs> and often that stuff doesn't even happen. We get so afraid of this happening or that happening and it doesn't happen. You just wasted so much emotional energy on what might have happened because your kids might have done this or your kid might do that and they might do that and whatever. Like, oh, God. Guess what? You're being tempted. It isn't coming from God. God's not saying your kid's about to die. It's coming from the evil one. And how do you fight that? It's with the sword of the Spirit. Amen? My child shall not die. He will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. Amen? My seed shall be mighty on the earth. Great shall be his shalom, his peace. And you fight. Amen? Because the devil's trying to influence you to live in doubt and unbelief and fear. So the other one I had was fear of man. Fear of rejection. Fear of being judged. And fear of failure. These are uh, five. There's many more fears we've talked about other weeks. But I want to just share with you uh, some things God and I were journaling about this. So I want to, this is family time. So if I start reading too fast and I say something, because there's a lot of rhema in this. I'm not going to, I'm just saying there really is what I'm about to read. And if you want me to repeat it, just like Joey does sometimes in the back. Hey, wait, 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 you say that again. Please do that, Joey, or anybody else. I'll, I'll go back. I'll reread it. I really don't mind. Because I want, I'm not trying to bless you with what I heard God say. I mean, excuse me, I'm not trying to impress you with what I heard God say. I'm trying to bless you with what I heard God say, okay? I get that one backwards. But um, So one of the things he starts off telling me about was the fear of failure. And God said, Ryan, what will happen to you if you fail? And I put, people may think less of me or judge me. And then God said, so why does that matter to you? People will judge you no matter what you do. If you do everything right, people will judge you. They, they did me too. I never sinned. I never failed. But people were quick to pass judgment on me and my motives for doing things. They were quick to judge me guilty of death, but I didn't do anything wrong. So then I said, so am I afraid of failing or am I afraid of what people might think or say about me if I fail? Is this the, and I said, is this the snare of the fear of man? What is the root of all this? And I heard God say, Ryan... The fear of man, the fear of failure, and the fear of rejection are three strands of the same cord. Everyone has a desire to make people happy and to do things well or better than others. When this doesn't happen, new emotions are formed called disappointment. So then you feel the fear of disappointing others, which is another strand from the fear of man. Now, did you get that or do you want me to read it again? Okay, I'll read it again. If you're trying to write it down, you can just get it off the 
live stream later because you might not be, unless you're Holly, you can write really fast. But um, it said, Ryan, the fear of man, the fear of failure, and the fear of rejection are three strands of the same cord. Everyone has a desire to make people happy and to, and to do things well or better than others. When this doesn't happen, new emotions are formed called disappointment. So when you think, when you feel the fear of disappointing others, uh, so, sorry, excuse me, so then you feel the fear of disappointing others, which is another strand from the fear of man. Then I said, how do I get over this? How do I get free from these fears? And God said, Ryan, part of the issue is your perspective. If the enemy can make you believe that you failed, even when you didn't, you can go away from a situation feeling disappointed and discouraged. This is part of the devil's schemes. So if, if he can influence you to have unrealistic expectations, that's a key word there to remember, or key words, unrealistic expectations of yourself, others, and me, these feelings of failure and disappointment will be inevitable. inevitable. So if he can influence you to have unrealistic expectations, no matter what God does, or no matter what you do, or what happens in your life, you're never going to feel satisfied. You're going to always feel disappointment. Disappointment will be inevitable. For example, you made a 98 on a test. You may feel like, what happened to the other two points? Okay, so you made a 98, and maybe you're proud of that, but then part of you goes away feeling like, but I didn't make 100, or I didn't get the bonus questions. That is not coming from your father. It might be coming from your earthly father or your mother, but it's not coming from your heavenly father. Amen? If you made an 88, if you made a 78, if you made a 58, and that was the best you could do, that was the best on that day that you could do, guess what? God's up like there. Way to go. Amen? Some of you need to take that because got, we got this perfectionism thing all over us. It didn't come from heaven. It didn't come from heaven. It might, have been, it might have came through our parents. It might have came through the enemy. But it doesn't come from heaven. If only perfect people are going to get there, it's going to be an empty place. Very empty. There's only one. So uh, he gave another example. If you lead worship and you did everything really well, but you messed up on a few chord changes or your voice cracked, even though you led people into the presence of God, you can go home feeling discouraged because you feel like you didn't do a good enough job. You need to ask yourself, a good enough job for who? For the people or for me? Ooh, that stings a bit, but it feels good at the same time. Who are we doing what we do for? Are we doing it for God? Are we doing it for how it looks to other people? God is all about motives, amen? And you'll never be happier and more free than when you're doing it for the right reason. You're loving people for the right reason. You're serving people for the right reason. Not to be recognized, not to be acknowledged or get on stage or get a, a, a big trophy or anything, but just you're doing it for the right reasons because it's the right thing to do. Amen? So another example. If you give a speech or you preach a sermon and it goes well, but afterwards you think, oh yeah, I forgot to say this or I forgot to say that, you can, you can go away feeling like you did something bad when in reality you did a very good job. This carries over into many areas of our lives. Our jobs, our parenting, our diets, our devotions, our time management, and many other areas. If we have high expectations of ourselves, we are sure to walk away feeling disappointed because we or the enemy will find something we did wrong, something to try to make us feel condemned. Are you getting this? All right. So, Ryan, these perspectives make it easy for the enemy to make you feel condemned or judged as a failure. 
Your perspectives need to change to make things harder on him to condemn you and easier on you to enjoy life and other people. I mean, if, you're, if you have a fear of judgment, a fear, like, you're going to not want to be around people because you're afraid, oh, my dress doesn't fit right or, oh, my hair's not right or my makeup's not just right and all this, and you're going to just, well, I'm just going to stay home. And what just happened there? You just totally got hijacked off of emotions and distractions and stuff from the enemy, when you're, you being here is all God wants, not, uh, not being the beauty queen of the show. We're not, we don't do that here. We, we try to have you know, fashion show contests and who can dress up in the best stuff. You know? uh, if you want to wear a suit, you can wear a suit. You want to come in shorts, you can come in shorts. God wants you here. God wants you in his presence, amen? Not, he's not, you don't get an award in heaven because you wore the nicest suit, Amen. Uh, well, man, I'm really meddling today, but I'm having fun doing it. So uh, when we have unrealistic expectations of ourselves, we can be sure that we will have them towards others as well. Now, we've probably all been guilty of that sometimes, of our children especially, right? Because we have this high expectation to them. We don't want them to fail. We don't want them to mess up. We don't want them to turn out like somebody bad or something. And we can put these unrealistic expectations on them, and we're so busy Wanting them to achieve this, we don't celebrate them right where they are right then. And it's just, you have to be careful with that. So it says, then these unrealistic expectations will cause us to go through life feeling unfulfilled, unsatisfied, and having a lack of joy. Unrealistic expectations are joy thieves. Okay? Unrealistic expectations steal your joy. Because nothing is ever good enough. So how are you going to be happy? Your house is not clean enough. Your car is not clean enough. Your kids aren't clean enough behind their ears or whatever. Your, their laundry is not clean enough. The, the dishes aren't clean enough or whatever. And you can just go through life being tormented because we have these unrealistic expectations to keep up with the Joneses or whoever it is when God just wants you to be you. You still need to clean your house, okay? Well, I can't get you off that. I'm sorry. But, but uh, if it's not perfect where you can eat off the floor because the queen's coming... And God's going to be okay with that, all right? And we need to be okay with that too, uh, even our company. So, uh, so I said, so God, what do we do about this? And I heard him say, Ryan, your perspectives must change from carnal, fleshly, or worldly to my perspective. My perspective of you is not judged from what you do, but who you are. Take it. My, his perspective, you're not judged by what you do, but who you are. Ryan, think about this. What did Eve do all day while Adam was naming the animals? What did Adam do all day once the animals were named? There was no work to be done. There were no briars to trim back. There was no weeds to pull. There was nothing work-related for Adam and Eve to do. So where did their value come from? It did not come from their looks. It did not come from their athletic ability. It did not come from their jobs. So where did their value come from? Where did their sense of worth come from? when there was no, no one else on the planet for them to compare themselves with. You know, you get a lot of that value from looking at other people or lack of value. Because if they're better than you, then you feel like, mm. but if they're worse than you, you're like, mm. you know, and neither one is good. Amen. It's not good. So he went on to say their value and worth came from me. It came from us spending time together. It came from our walks in the garden in the cool of the day. It came through our fellowship and intimacy. They received from me, and I received from them. 
I gave them love and they gave me love. Ryan, giving and receiving love is pivotal to emotional health. I might need to write that one down or remember it. Giving and receiving love is pivotal to your emotional health. You must give love away whether it's reciprocated or not. Not just to your spouse, but to the lost. Whether they love you back, they thank you, or whatever, we must give away love whether it's reciprocated or not. And you must receive love from me whether you feel worthy or not. Both of these are done by faith. So whether you feel worthy of his love, man, we really, we just got to get over that because you're never going to get there. Except by faith. Except by faith. All right. So we want to say, you must believe that I am and that I am a rewarder of those who diligently seek me. What do you think the reward is? And I was like, I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> I, was like, I, was getting like, I was getting like overwhelmed. Like, I can't believe I'm hearing all this stuff. This is really good. I'm glad I'm writing this down because this is like really good stuff here. But anyway, I said, I have no idea. Then I put maybe answered prayer. And God said, the reward of those who seek me is me. He said, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I am your exceedingly great reward. The reward of diligently seeking me is me. It is intimacy and fellowship together. Then listen to this one. Answered prayers are just a byproduct of our communion together. Wow, right? Answered prayers, it's not the end goal, right? If, we're just, if the answered prayer is our end goal, then we're using God for some kind of manipulative system, right? But answered prayers are just a byproduct of our communion together. Isn't that what the Word of God teaches? That seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Me first, things second. Or if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you can ask for whatever you desire, and it will be done for you. Me first, desire second. Ryan, this is how things, are, things work. I desire intimacy and fellowship, and this helps to establish trust between us. This is all that I want. For you to trust me and for you to have an intimate fellowship, us to have intimate fellowship together. Everything else flows from there. Then I said, so does this answer the question I had about fear? And God said, yes, because perfect love casts out fear. The areas that we fear the most are the areas where we receive love the least from God. Whether it's from our past, whether it's from our hardness of our heart, whether it's from whatever, the areas where we have the most fear is the areas where we haven't let God in to that area. That makes sense? Since fear has to do with punishment, I do not desire to punish you at all. I desire quality time. This is my number one love language. I thought that was so cool. You know, the five love languages? Jesus said his love language was quality time. I thought that is really cool. Then he said, come close to me and fear will be far from you. Amen. So when I had wrote this all down, yeah, he was giving it to me, but he knew and I knew that it was also for everyone because there's a lot of rhema in this that can really help us with, with stuff. So I'm just going to briefly highlight some of the things that come out of there, and that will be it for today. But um, first one I had written down was people will judge you no matter what you do. You can't control that. You can control you. The fear of man, the fear of failure, the fear of rejection, and the fear of disappointing others are strands of the same cord. Check your perspective and don't let yourself have unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expectations are joy thieves. Good enough, good enough job for who? For others or for me? That can go to any area of your life, really. Uh, your value and worth come from me. 
Giving and receiving love is pivotal to emotional health. You must give love away, whether it is reciprocated or not, and you must receive love from me, whether you feel worthy or not. The reward of those who seek me is me, and answered prayers are just a byproduct of our communion together. Me first, things second. Quality time is his number one love language, and come close to him, and fear will be far from you. So guys, you can listen to this again. You need to write some of that stuff down to pray over and meditate on. You're welcome to do that. But I just wanted to bless you with this word, because God doesn't want you to fear. And you don't have to die and go to heaven before fear goes away. You don't have to live your whole life being tormented by the lies of the news, the lies of the media, the lies of the enemy. You can get into the secret place of the Most High. He who abides in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. You say of the Lord, He is my rock, my refuge, and my God in whom I will trust. This quality time will establish trust in your heart. And then when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to even fear evil because you know God's with you. It's not, I hope he's with me. I hope he's got me. I hope he hasn't forgotten me. It's impossible for God to forget you. You know, it's impossible for him to forget you. You know that song, some of you sing, Kumbaya? Well, guess what? He is Yah. He already is here. He lives right on the inside of you. 24-7, 365. And he will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's the closest mention of his name. He gave you his spirit to abide with you forever. Not till the next time you sin. Not till the next time you fear. But forever. So as we tap into what God's doing, and not what everyone else is doing, or saying, or thinking, or judging, but tap into what he's saying, you will receive strength, inner strength from him in security that can only come from one place. Like if I look for my approval from you guys, I can be, it can be judged from week to week by whether you guys are yawning or snoring or if you're amening or whatever. And I can, some days I could go home feeling like, oh my gosh, they're not getting it. And I, I'm like, I don't want to do this. And other days you're like, amen, like, yeah, and someone's dancing, I'm like, oh man, I did really good today. I can't do that. And neither one's true. Because I listened to them back when I thought I did really good, and I thought, well, it wasn't that good. And other times when I went back and listened to ones I thought I did really bad, I'm like, you know what, it wasn't that bad. And it's, it's the same thing in our life, guys, that no matter what you feel or think you did good or bad, the devil's going to somehow, if we let him, be right there to say, you suck. Amen? Is that too spiritual? So, uh, are too real. Okay, because you are tempted to believe these things, but we need to fight them with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Amen. 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 Why don't you stand? I'm going to pray a prayer, a blessing on you, and dismiss you. I didn't write this reference down. But I put this scripture at the bottom here. It's, I sought the Lord, and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. You know, you can be delivered from the fear of man. You can be delivered from the fear of sickness or disease or premature death. You can be delivered from fear of anything. Delivered. Because it's not from the Spirit of God. God doesn't have any fear to give you. Amen? So God, I just thank you for your people. And God, if I came across angry, it's um, angry at the attack of the enemy on my family here. And I bless them in Jesus' name. 
And I pray the works of the enemy would be destroyed in their lives. Fear would be eradicated, removed, and destroyed from them. And they can walk into the things of God and hear your voice, the voice of stranger they will not follow. And you be rooted and grounded in the love of God so they will know the all-surpassing knowledge of the grace of God. God, I pray fear be removed in Jesus' name. Be removed in the name of Jesus. Do not fear. Jesus is here. He's here. So God, I pray uh, related to trauma would leave. Fear related to doubt and unbelief would go. Fear related to believing we're not good enough or whatever would be healed and delivered and set free, gone in the name of Jesus. And we would rise and take our place where where we're seated with you in heavenly places, where live our life from that perspective, not from perspective of we're just a measly old this or that. That we would know that we know that we are sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is none higher. So God, I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.